Well, everyone loves a good compassion story, right? They encourage, they inspire, and they move our hearts. I love when I see that happen here at Valley Point Church. From our Christmas initiatives, where we see compassion at work, to our kids recently who gave so generously during VBS. It was just astonishing. To those who went out yesterday for our love day to go serve and love without expecting anything in return. We use the word go to describe our willingness as a church, but I think also our willingness as apprentices of Jesus to serve others. And it's truly a beautiful thing. Acting and going. Think about this now. Acting and going in the name of Jesus is something that is so close to the heart of Christ. And I think it helps us to discover this. Scott McKnight, who is the author of the Jesus Creed, says it this way. Compassion is not only a story to tell, but also a cycle to repeat. So when we think about compassion, compassionate activity, or people who act in compassionate ways, or when our own heart is stirred and we become compassionate, there certainly is a story to tell there. That's true. But underneath all of that, there should be a cycle to begin repeating where there is more and more and more compassionate activity. For the past five weeks now, we have been thinking about the Jesus Creed, which is outlined for us in Mark chapter 12. What we discovered in week one is that Mark recorded for us that one day, a really smart leader of the religious law, an expert in the law, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Of all the commandments that we have, Jesus, and they had a lot of commandments, a lot. Of all of these commandments that are designed to help us love God, which one is the greatest commandment? Of all of these commandments, how do you break it down, Jesus? Which one is the greatest? And Jesus replied and said, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love God with everything inside of you, not just a small piece, but with everything. Love God that way. And then I want you to add something to that. Love God and then look out and love your neighbor. Love others. So love God and love others. I want to encourage you to join me in saying the Jesus Creed. These words will be on the screen. Will you say this with me? Here we go. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the words of Jesus in response to that question in Mark chapter 12. Profound words. 
I am starting to pray this as a prayer every single day. And I'm not perfect at it. There are some days that I miss. But I have found the Jesus Creed helping to shape the start of my day. Okay. Lord, I will love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, there is no commandment greater than these. Nothing greater than this. That's the Jesus Creed. Here's our big idea for today. Living the Jesus Creed. So it's one thing to spit that out and to say it. But living the Jesus Creed means that we will observe, grieve, empathize, and act compassionately. And this is what we will discover in Luke chapter 7. If we live out the Jesus Creed, loving God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if we love our neighbor, even when they irritate us, or perhaps we should say, especially when they irritate us, if we're living the Jesus Creed out that way, well, we will observe, grieve, empathize, and act compassionately. Now, I will say, many of us would probably look at that big idea and say, well, I do that as a follower of Jesus, someone who's living out the story of the Bible. I do those things. I grieve. I empathize. I act in compassionate ways, and I might not get it right all of the time, but I do this. I would submit to you, I don't think we're great at this. I'm not picking on anyone individually, and I'm not picking on our church. I say that because I think about my own heart and myself, that I would like to say, well, yeah, I observe, grieve, empathize, and act compassionately. I am a pastor. I'm supposed to shepherd. But I don't know if I get this right on most days. And perhaps you feel that burden underneath the bravado of, yeah, we do that, but I'm not sure we do. So living the Jesus Creed, loving God and loving others means we must do that because it's the way of Jesus. So let's look into this. Let's dive into scripture and follow the example of Christ because that's what we should be doing. And we should be asking him to shape every aspect of our hearts and our lives. So let's do that now and see if we can't come to grips with this big idea. Here at Valley Point, we take the word of God seriously. It's a big deal to us. It matters. And that's why every week we open it up and read from it and invite God to shape our hearts from his word. So with your copy of the Bible or with your device, I want to invite you to join me in the New Testament book of Luke chapter 7. I will begin reading with verse 11 in just a moment. Before I read, though, I want to encourage you at some point today to read all of chapter 7 or perhaps throughout the week. Consider that challenge because we're not going to look at everything Jesus said and did here. Just a couple of episodes that are very dynamic. But there's a lot happening in chapter 7 that will help us live out the Jesus Creed. In fact, if you follow the Valley Point Scripture reading plan Monday through Friday on Wednesday of this week, you will read chapter 7 of Luke. So if you're following that plan, it's going to happen. If you have another way that you engage with Scripture throughout the week, that's great. You might just want to add Luke chapter 7 to it because it's great. 
So here's verse 11. These are the words of the Lord. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. I want you to look at verse 13 again. When the Lord, when Jesus saw her, and here's this phrase, his heart overflowed with compassion. From that phrase, his heart overflowed with compassion, there is a Greek word that is my favorite Greek word. I have shared this with you before. It's the word splonknizomai. Splonknizomai. That's what's happening here. When the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw the widow who is in this funeral procession with her only son, splonknizomai, which means he had compassion for her. It means to have pity on, to have one's heart go out to someone or to be moved in the inward parts. So this is more than a casual observation of someone having a bad day. Ah, the poor widow. But she's got people with her. She'll be okay. Someone will rally around her and help her in the days to come. She's going to be okay. Yeah, I feel bad for her, but she will survive. This is so much more than that. When Jesus saw the widow who had lost her only son and the crowd that was following her, his heart went out to her. And he's deeply moved on the inside. Like there's almost a churning of the inner parts. And it moves Jesus to the point where here's what happens in verse 13. He approaches the widow and says, don't cry. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearers stopped. Now, I want to pause here because I think it's really easy to overlook his approach of the widow and his touching the coffin. And just think about what is potentially coming where Jesus is about to do something grand and amazing. We often just kind of fly right by that little section there. But there's a lot of cultural items here that are important for us to understand if we get how Jesus responded to all of this. So here are a few thoughts. I have four to be exact. Number one, people customarily, as part of the culture of this time, would drop whatever they were doing to join a funeral procession. And that was a way to honor that family and also participate in the mourning process. And that's why we find in the story here that the widow's only son had died and a large crowd from the village was with her. Our understanding of how they operated in this context is that many people would have stopped their work. They would have put things down in order to join her in her mourning. And that's likely what's occurring here. Number two, while you would join the procession, 
you would never interrupt it. Like, that's just something you wouldn't do because that was a blatant breach of Jewish law and custom. You join the procession, but you don't stop it in any way. That's a bad thing to do. Yet that's what Jesus does here. Number three, for a widow's only son to die before she did was considered extremely tragic because she would have no one to provide for her. She would be dependent on public charity for support unless she had other means or had relatives of means. And we don't have any indication in the text here that's the case. So it's very possible she's completely on her own. So this is a really tragic situation. She has no one. And then number four, by touching the coffin, Jesus would be viewed as contracting corpse uncleanness. The severest form of ritual impurity in Judaism, and you can read all about that in Numbers chapter 19. If you came in contact with a corpse, you were thrown out of temple worship. You couldn't do that until you were clean again. And there was an arduous way of getting back into being clean and being able to engage with the community once again. So you didn't touch dead bodies or anything even close to that. That was a social taboo. Only those closest to the deceased were expected to expose themselves to that kind of impurity. Yet again, this is what we find Jesus doing. So in Luke chapter 7, in these verses here, we find Jesus breaking all kinds of social taboos. He's doing things he's not supposed to be doing, and you can almost picture this, can't you? The disciples of Jesus are with him and they see the procession and recognize that Jesus is about to go up and talk to the widow. And you can imagine, Jesus, you you can't do that. You can't go there. That's not the way it works. And then when he reaches out to touch the coffin, disciples in the back trying to cut him off. But Jesus breaks all kinds of social taboos here because he's moved on the inside and he knows he can't just sit with the feeling. He has to do something about it. Back to the text. Verse 14. Young man, he said, I tell you to get up. Then the dead boy sat up and he began to talk. True miracle here. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So based on what we have just read in Luke chapter seven, I want to share a thinking point with you. Here it is. Jesus observed grief. And I think he even took time out of his busy schedule of saving the world, because that's what Jesus came to do, to actually observe grief. How do we know this? Well, Jesus 
was moved with compassion on the inside as he saw all of the mourners and he observed this widow and this mother who was grieving. I think the question for us as we think about Jesus observing grief in what's happening around him, here's the question for all of us. Do we do the same? Do we actually observe the grief of the people around us in our homes, in our places of work, in our communities where God has placed us? Are we observing grief or not? If we claim to follow the Jesus creed, loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, we will take time to do this because it is the way of Jesus. I've talked about this quite a bit, but I don't know if we're always good at observing grief because we're moving through life so fast. We have things to do and stuff to accomplish and places we want to go and all of these things that are great and we love and we enjoy and we just keep piling on and we move through life in such a way that I don't think we have time to pause and to observe the grief of the people around us. And we may ask, how are you doing? But I don't know if we even really know what to do when somebody says, I'm not doing well. It's not good on the inside. That's kind of an awkward thing. And, oh, you know, I'll pray for you. And we keep moving on because we have things to do. One of the things that falls out of Luke chapter 7 is that Jesus, in his schedule, he observed grief. He felt it on the inside, and then he did something about it. Keep in mind. We cannot forget. Jesus had a really busy schedule. He is coming to pay for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. He's going to the cross. He will give up his life. He will come back to life, and he will return to heaven. Jesus has a lot of stuff to do in order to accomplish all of that, but along the way, he observes the widow and the mother, he's moved on the inside, and then he springs into action to do something about it. So for us, church, please hear this. May we truly observe the grief of people around us, which means we have to slow the pace a little bit. And maybe we have to say no to a lot of good things, and even fun things that are fulfilling personally for us so that we can inconvenience ourselves in such a way that we are moved on the inside and we have space and time to act and do something about it. It's one of the things that happens here from the life of Jesus. So may we be moved and may we do something about it, like an encouraging word instead of quick judgment. Sometimes people are really good at dismissing what may be happening on the inside and just judging. May we provide a prayer instead of a sarcastic utterance. 
and an act that supports instead of just silence. Let's offer these things to people. An encouraging word, a prayer, an act. It's the way of Jesus. And we have to remember that if we belong to Jesus, and if we are living out the story of the Bible, then acting like Jesus is not just a philosophy. It must be a way of life. It must be. And this is how we effectively live out the creed. So this is one of the things that happens in Luke chapter 7. If we go back to our text here, look at verse 36. Here's Jesus involved in more social taboos. It's great. This one almost sounds a little scandalous, actually. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. The Pharisees were religious people, the religious leaders of the day, and invites Jesus to a dinner party. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And as you research this, almost all scholars are in agreement that this was an individual who had loose morals. That was her character. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders here, would have assumed once she got into the room or into the dinner party that she would have done something disreputable. She gets into the dinner party and here's what happens. Then she knelt behind him, behind Jesus at his feet. She's weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, the religious leader who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. <laughs> I think it's kind of a funny line in scripture. Jesus knew what he was thinking. So he responds, Simon. He said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he has canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling her. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. And that's a unique cultural reference because at this particular time, they walked around on dusty roads and your feet were disgusting. So when you went into a home or if you were invited to a dinner party like Jesus was here, it was custom for the owner of the home to either wash or provide a way for people to wash their feet so they would be clean for dinner where they often reclined at tables and their feet would be close to the food. 
Well, Jesus is indicating here, you, Simon, this religious person, you didn't offer this to me, but she did. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, religious leader, didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Basically, Jesus is saying here, this sinner, that's how you're viewing her, this person who doesn't have a great reputation has been more hospitable to me than you, Simon, the religious person who should know better and the owner of the home, the one who should be doing this anyway, which that would have been very discouraging for Simon because in this culture, hospitality was a great value. You would be hospitable even to your enemies. That's just what they did. The religious person didn't even offer these things to Jesus, but the woman did. Verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So because of that, she has shown me much love. Remarkable. And from that text, here's another thinking point. Jesus reaches out in empathy to restore. Someone who had a reputation that the religious crowd of that day would have absolutely crushed. Here's Jesus breaking all kinds of social taboos and interacting with her. He reaches out in empathy to restore. I think the challenge here is to remember how much you have been forgiven and then allow that to humble you and energize you to live out the Jesus creed. Remember how much you have been forgiven. My sins, your sins, they are vast. But taking time to remember how much we have been forgiven by our great rescuer and redeemer keeps us humble before him and loving people the way that we should. So the challenge is to remember how much you have been forgiving. And when we start acting smug, like Simon, the religious leader, which by the way, religious people are really good at acting smug in a lot of different ways. So when we fall into that category, may we remember how much we have been forgiven so we do not act like Simon who didn't live out the Jesus creed. You are feeling bored or smug, or indifferent in your walk with Jesus, I would encourage you to do this. Remember how much you have been forgiven and allow that to awaken you. Okay? How do we respond to all of this? Luke chapter 7, Jesus interacting with the widow who had also lost her son and bringing him back to life, and Jesus interacting with a woman who didn't have a great reputation, but yet he loved her and restored her. What's my response to all of this? 
Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I would encourage you to do. Add some range to your hope for others. And here's how that happens. Here's how we do that. See grief. And don't just observe it and move on to the next thing, which is certainly a temptation because we're really busy and we have stuff to do. See grief and allow your schedule to be interrupted and then act on behalf of that individual. I love what Cornelius Plantinga, a scholar and author, says about this. He states it this way, we need faith in the resurrected Jesus, the savior of the nation, but we also need love. Love gets us out of our shell. It lifts our interest not only toward Christ, but also toward others. So that when we begin to hope, we naturally hope for them as well as for ourselves. And I believe biblical hope has a wide lens. It has a wide lens. So let me ask all of us. As we think about the world around us. Are we looking through the biblical lens of great hope? And are we adding some range to that? Or is it becoming more narrow and judgmental? What about the people in your home? The ones right there. You're adding some range to your hope for them? What about the people in our communities? Are we adding some range to our hope for them as well? It's the way of Jesus. It's how we effectively live out the Jesus creed. So let's continue to do this. And I think here's what will happen as we add some range to our hope. It will likely bring discouragement. So we need to be ready for that. Because people are discouraging, aren't they? And I think it also might bring suffering into our lives. And we don't like the sound of discouragement and suffering. We tend to run from all of that. But I do believe... Being discouraged sometimes and suffering brings maturity into our lives because it is the way of Jesus who is often discouraged and often suffered, but yet with Christ, we can do anything that he wants for us. And mature people live this way because they contribute even when they are suffering and even when they are discouraged. They contribute by having hope for others. So who in your world needs that kind of hope from you? Chase it. Chase it. Now, if you are not sure about following Jesus, and you would say following him is not the driving desire of your heart, then here's a response for you. I would encourage you to review the stories of the actions of Jesus as found in Luke chapter 7. Let's go back and read over that a little bit and open your heart. Don't have a closed heart, but open your heart to what Jesus sees and how he reaches and how he loves. And then personalize that because Jesus not only did these things way back in Luke chapter 7, but Jesus still does these things and he is for you. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to jump into the first part of Luke chapter 8 where we find Jesus interacting with a woman 
who was possessed with demons. She had a really rough life. Jesus observed grief. He was moved on the inside and he did something about that. He freed her and she began to live a new kind of life. So if you're not so sure about Jesus or if he's not the driving focus of your life, then I would encourage you to go back to Luke chapter 7 and look at the first part of chapter 8 and open your heart to what Jesus sees and how he reaches and how he loves. Back to the big idea. Living the Jesus creed. Loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as well, means that we will observe, grieve, empathize, and act compassionately. May God give us the strength and the courage to live out the creed this way in the days to come. Father, we are grateful for a time on this Sunday to look at Luke chapter 7 and to be reminded of how Jesus acts. At some point, we have to figure out how to live the Jesus creed. And the way we do that is by looking to the example of Christ. And what he did was he observed grief and he set aside his agenda so that he could meet needs. God, I fear sometimes we are running so fast that we just don't have time to see grief. And if we do, it might make us really uncomfortable because we have something to accomplish and we can't do anything about it. So we just keep moving. God, help us to eliminate hurry so that we can care for our neighbors, people around us in the way that you want us to. God, help us. Help us, I do pray. I just want you to receive this blessing now, so hear these words. Almighty God, we thank you for the ways in which you have been stretching us, ways you have been breathing into what we thought were safe and secure areas of our being and opening us up to new depths and new areas of life and wholeness. We thank you for this opportunity to open ourselves to your transforming touch. In your name, we do pray. Amen.